0: And we thank you for joining us. Uh, We are going through a brand new study. Well, I shouldn't say brand new because we're like at session seven now, so it's not new anymore. But uh, we are currently in uh, the study, Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. Uh, It is a Bible study today. We're we're chock full of of scripture. Uh, But it comes from the 40-day devotional uh, called uh, How to Be a Man. It's a trilogy that we have at themanchurch.com. There's three of these. Um, This one is the last one in the trilogy. Uh, The first one is The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. Uh, The second one is real men of the Bible, and this one is what it means to be a disciple. And and what we've done is uh, these devotionals of what we're doing today are daily devotionals, uh, much shorter uh, jumps into these concepts. And then uh, we create 40-week curriculums uh, from these that uh, churches are doing all over the country. Uh, Our first two, uh, The Pursuit, uh, is a 40-week curriculum. It's available, uh, and also uh, Real Men. Uh, Those two based off the first two uh, 40-day devotionals uh, from the trilogy. And coming out next year will be a 40-day devotional on what we're doing right now. So you'll already kind of be at least versed on that a little bit uh, from this Bible study. And then what I'm doing weekly is that I'm taking um, a week's worth of these daily devotionals, and we're doing in one Bible study here. So if you had this devotional, you're catching uh, the Bible study on Wednesday. And then when that curriculum comes out next year, boy, you could really uh, unpack the concept of what it means to be a disciple. And it's important because that's what Jesus not only said we were, but he also called us, as you'll see again today, to go out and make new disciples. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this week. If you're watching this on the 4th of August, uh, I will actually be in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, coming up on Friday night, uh, August the 6th. I'll be speaking. I like this. This term "reman." They're 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 calling this uh, this men's event "reman." Uh, this is a word that uh, that one of the members of the of the men's ministry found, uh, and and he said this was a word that means to to go and solidify in, like in battle to go up to the to, to your military line and solidify this. It means to to become emboldened, uh, to be ready uh, to to go on offense or to defend yourself, which is really cool. Uh, and so the the men will be there, and I'll be speaking to them on Friday night. August the 12th, Athens, Alabama. Now, this will be an actual man church. Uh, I'll be there. They've done the first 40-week curriculum. They're about to go into the second one, and I'll be there talking to them, and you're welcome to join us for that. Both of these, uh, uh, you need to find out the information. I know Friday night is a free ticket, and they'll feed you too, but they do need to know you're coming because we're spacing and all that, and we are limiting the number of men that can be there. But it's a big room, so there's still room for you to be there. Sherry and I do our marriage conference together, the Together Conference at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. That is sold out, but we look forward to seeing all the couples that are coming there. And then Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I can't wait to get there on August the 21st. It's a man church one day. That means uh, one of our conferences, but we do it in just one day on Saturday, and Rich Wingo and I will be the speakers. Uh, We'll have praise and worship. We'll have a panel uh, that the men can be part of too. Now, that Friday night, the 20th of August, they call this Catalyst Weekend at Linwood Baptist Church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Friday night, Shane and Shane's in concert. Saturday morning uh, to to early Saturday afternoon, Rich and I do the Man Church one day, and then ladies who I know participate in this Bible study too, they have a women's event coming up that afternoon. So they're going to cover it all uh, there at Linwood Baptist in Cape Girardeau called Catalyst Weekend. So look for those and and, and, and any days that you're interested in by going to BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, if you want to find out where man churches are being held that may, not, that may feature our other teachers, our other speakers, you can go to themanchurch.com and click on events, and you'll see where there's a man church, and there are a lot of them coming up, and go out and, and hear some of our other speakers. Or you can go there if you're a church and kind of see what the system looks like and plug in this discipleship strategy uh, into your church. Uh, of course, we, we say, you know, disciple men change everything. Uh, all right, so let's, let's, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God today and talk about the next concept uh, that you look for on what it means to be a disciple. Lord, thank you for today. I pray, Lord, for um, you know, the world. Uh, once again, uh, this pandemic just refuses to let go, and uh, once again, here we all are, knowing people who have gotten very sick, knowing people, unfortunately, who have passed away. Uh, we do know, though, as, as, as we have heard clearly, uh... that things are not out of control they're under your control uh... And may we understand that your perfect will uh, is being done for those of us uh... that have been redeemed uh... for those of us that um, that are in you you're working all things out uh... for for good not for bad uh... but we also know this is part of a fallen creation and and refinement that must take place as you begin to prepare us to stop loving this world and to pre- and, and to prepare to be part of of a new heaven and a new earth and stop trying to make heaven here on earth. Uh, may we learn that lesson. It's a hard lesson to learn. Thank you for loving us enough to teach it to us. Uh, but now we, we start to unpack these concepts of you calling us to be a, your disciples. Help us to apply them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, so if you have um, uh, your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, then let's just uh, let's turn over to Acts chapter 1. This, this is the game changer. Here we go, Acts chapter 1, uh, when, we're, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend uh, and then the church age is about to begin at Pentecost and, and Jesus is talking to us about this concept again this week. So, if you have missed the other six weeks of this Bible study, you can go back and get those archives on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. If you're watching right here, just click playlist. Uh, you'll go to the Wednesday Bible study or the Men's Bible study and you'll see those there. Uh, and you can watch those if you want to just audio only, maybe while you're driving. I would not suggest you watch videos while you're driving. So if you want to listen to the audio only versions, go to BurgessMinistries.com and click on listen, and they're there. So week one, the concept was that disciples have been transformed by Christ. Week two, disciples surrender to a gospel-centered life. Uh, Week three, uh, disciples hunger to know God. Uh, week four, disciples desire to worship God. Week five, disciples pus- pursue personal holiness. Uh, week six, which was last week, di- uh, disciples embrace Christian community. And now the concept this week is disciples engage with their surroundings. Disciples engage with their surroundings. I, I think this is probably one of those areas um, that, you know, when we, we hit this concept a lot where we say, you know, that Jesus taught clearly that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And we've heard that taught over and over again. And, and we usually assess ourselves and we start thinking about things that, that, that shouldn't be there. And through our sanctification, we come into conviction and we, remo- and we remove. But many times I know in my own life, we, we fail to deal with the commandment we're about to talk about in Acts chapter 1. And that is when Jesus told us to go make disciples. I mean, I think this is probably an area of the disciples of Jesus that we may neglect the most. Uh, I mean, this is one of those times when you think to yourself, are there people that I can be assured that are now disciples of Christ and they are disciples of Christ because of my obedience following what Christ told me to do? He certainly changed them, but I, was the, the, I, was, I took action to introduce them to Jesus and to try to teach them all that he had commanded me just as he instructed me to do. Uh, is that an area of our life that we, we, we're engaged in our surroundings and we're constantly looking to, to, to share Christ with someone? We're constantly looking uh, to make disciples? Are, are we even discipling our own children uh, for those of us that have children? So listen to what the, Jesus said, because the verse that we want to talk about right out of the gate comes from Acts chapter 1. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 8. And it's, it's pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, Jesus said, now remember, he has been with the disciples for three years. He has gone to the cross, and he has paid our debt. Praise his holy name. Uh, It is finished. He has gone into the tomb. He has appeared, as we, in our study of Peter, he has appeared before the fallen angels that are now being held in captivity. This attempt for Satan to produce his own God-man back in Genesis 6, he has stood before them, and said, you didn't do it, I did it, I have redeemed these people, I have redeemed the world, I am the one and only God, man, I was the only Lamb of God, I have done it, you are defeated, you didn't do it, and then he walked out of that tomb, uh, defeating eternal death, he now has spent 40 days with these disciples, He's, you know, he's got Peter back in line, Peter, do you love me, you remember that beautiful uh, point where he gets Peter, hey, you denied me, let's get you back in line. I'm now preparing you for what is next, and that's the church age. I'm about to ascend. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's good that I go. The third person of the Trinity will now be with you, uh, and the power that raised me from the dead will now be in your spirit, and you can fully experience me as, a, as opposed to the partial experience when I allowed myself to, for my glory to be, uh, to, to, to be just for a minute for me to do a servant role, take on human flesh, and, and, and by my own will, lay down my own life. No one else took it from me. I laid it down, I raised it back up, and now I'm returning to glory. And when I return to glory, I now give you the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. That's about to happen. And now here come the instructions on what I want you to do. Anybody think that's big? It's the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples and to the church and to us. I think that's a biggie. So here's what he said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's, he's looking forward to Pentecost, and you will be, and I want you to underline that, if you have your Bible out right now or if you got something to make notes on, and you will be my witnesses. How many of us have read that before saying, and I'd like for you to consider being my witnesses? You will be my witnesses and where? Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem to us? Wherever you are, wherever you live. Or some of my friends say wherever you stay. That's Jerusalem. That's, That's the city where you live. Then he said, and in all Judea, that can be the state or the region of where you live. And Samaria, that's your nation. And then what? And then to the ends of the earth. So. He didn't say, I'd I'd like for you to consider being. He says, you will be. And here's the part that I love, and and I know when we created uh, themanchurch.com and we were working on this concept of really providing. We we love doing events. You hear me talk about those, and events are great, and being challenged in a worship setting is great. I'm not not downplaying that at all. But themanchurch.com is mainly designed to disciple men. We we certainly challenge men, but we were not going to leave out the equipping part, which frankly, men's ministry has left out forever. You know, we we challenge men, but then we don't equip them. So what Jesus is telling us is is that we're going to go out, and and we're going to 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 reach the the these these areas, which always goes to the ends of the earth, and we're going to make disciples. And you will be my witnesses. People need to know who I am, what I did, and what I taught you. You know, he also says in the Great Commission, teach them all that I have commanded you. Go out and make disciples. So the word that we, we kept coming back to that, that God kept weighing on us, but this applies to discipling anyone, not just men, but it certainly applies to men, be intentional. And, and, and so Jesus is saying, I, I now want you to be intentional, meaning I don't want you to come up with some, you know, shotgun blast of what I'm saying. I want you to hear the details of what I'm saying, and I'm I'm telling you be intentional about your surroundings. You're my disciples. Where in your city? Where else in your state? Where else in your country? Where else? Anywhere. Wherever wherever you go, you're you are my witness. And and I ask myself this, and I certainly apply everything I'm teaching to myself first. I better, or then I can't be your teacher. and that is, is, is this, do, do I see myself, and I know people who do this beautifully, and if you don't want to hear them talk to somebody about Jesus, you better go hang out with somebody else. But, but I mean, they are constantly in their mind, whoever they're encounter, encountering, they're looking for a way to get into a gospel conversation with that person. They're always doing it. I can't say that for myself. I do it, I do it but do I do it to the level that I should? Probably not. And so this has been a convicting week for me as I've been preparing this. Uh, you know, I, I, I do a good job of getting myself into settings of, of people. Uh, I like what we're doing here on Wednesday. I certainly want to be talking to you guys. But where I need improvement is the everyday conversations with my surroundings because I, am, I'm, I have a fault in, in my I, – I sometimes I'm not aware of my surroundings the way I need to be. You know, my wife will tell you, don't assume Rick saw that. When you're giving him instructions, don't assume he heard them, okay, because he can turn that switch off. And, you know, they, the guys on the show laugh at me all the time. We, we, were, we were doing a, a NASCAR thing where you go and drive these I, Should they let people just get in these cars like this? I remember thinking, this didn't seem like a lot of training. I, 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 I've ridden around this track in a van. Now I'm in this car, and they're strapping me in. And uh, so they had, undoubtedly, they had given detailed information about this car that I didn't get. And, uh, and everybody laughed about it because they clearly told us about the lights and what the lights mean and, and the gears and all this. And as soon as they buckle me in, a light comes in. I said, what is this? And everybody just starts laughing because they covered it like, like five times. And I'm like, hey, what's up with the light? What does this mean? And uh, so I've got to do a better job of being aware of my surroundings and, and, be, and being prompted by the Holy Spirit, this person I have placed in your path for this reason. Now, am I just gonna be satisfied with where I am in that and say, well, I guess I just don't do that as well as I should? No, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be intentional about saying, Jesus, you said to do this, and I want you to empower me to do a better job in this part of me being your witness. I do some parts of it, I think, good, but that there's but that part I need to work on, and that is the people that you encounter on the way. And uh, there's been times that I've had God, maybe you have to prompt you to speak to a a waiter or a waitress, uh, you know, and or hey, I don't know why, but I think I'd like to pray for you. I just feel prompted to do so. And and when God prompts you to do that, be intentional and do it. Sometimes you you may not even have any idea what impact it's had, but I can I can tell you there has never been a time in my life that I felt prompted to speak to someone or pray for someone that I just had encountered in my surroundings that it went bad. Never. You know what they usually say? Man, I really needed that. And you know what God said? I know. (laughs) That's why I told you to do that. You know, so you be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So let me tell you this, followers of Jesus, we have no choice. Uh, I saw this today uh, Spurgeon, you know, somebody has, um, has got me, for some reason I keep getting all these Spurgeon things, and they're fantastic, the Prince of Preachers. But Spurgeon said that, that, that lost people do not read the Bible, they read Christians. So we, we, we are his witnesses. That's all they know uh, is us because they don't know the rest of it yet. Uh, and so that's what Jesus told us to do. And so make a note of that. And if you'll kind of keep this in your mind, even with your giving uh, and I'm not telling you what to do, but you know, we have the Bronner Burgess Memorial Fund. So what we do with, with our giving into that fund are the, the revenue that is generated through the coffee sales or speaking engagements or book sales or whatever we do to fund that, including our own tide that goes there uh, with our tide that goes to our local church. Is So when we start handing out grants to evangelical ministries, guess what we do? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. So I I make sure that all those areas are covered. Now, you may not be called physically to go to the ends of the earth, but you should be involved in your Jerusalem, you should be involved in your Judea, you should be involved in your Samaria, and you should be involved to the ends of the earth. And if you'll just follow that concept, you go, okay, I'm doing it exactly the way you told me to do it. And uh, you certainly want to vet out and be sure that they are actually reaching and discipling people but look for those ministries that are working in all these places even if you can't physically go because that's another way to go so just kind of keep that that's something that that i've been learning over the years it's been been effective alright so the next verse we want to look at so jesus says we will be his witnesses he's intentional about that so next let's look over to paul's letter to uh, to the church at corinth in first corinthians that's first corinthians nine and then I want us to look down at, at uh, verses 19 through 23. So what's the next thing about engaging our surroundings? And, and I think if, if you, those of you that may or may not know what I do for a living, I actually host a, a radio show that is a completely secular show, meaning it's it's not in Christian radio, but we're Christians who do radio. And uh, and we walk that line of in the world, not of the world. We Sometimes we walk it correctly and sometimes we don't. Uh, but when we don't, we come under conviction or we're held accountable by uh, our brothers and sisters of the church and and we correct that. But if I could take a theme verse and place it on what we're trying to do uh, with this platform that God has given us, I would use 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. He's saying, look, even though... I'm completely freed in Christ, and and there's things that that freedom has allowed me because I now have been made fully righteous. What I have done is I haven't become full of myself going, look at me. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I still make myself a servant to everyone that I come in contact with that I may win more of them, right? A sanctimonious attitude, does that usually win people over? It really doesn't. What usually wins people over? Because we have, what we have to ask ourselves a question: Do I just want to be the winner of the argument, or do I want to show somebody Jesus? And I've really struggled with that balance. But 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 he is really he's really working on me and humbling me in that area. And I see improvement from the Holy Spirit, not from my own effort, but just uh, willing to be uh, weak and let the Spirit work and and you know not do the thing of that's just the way I am. Yeah, I know, Rick. That's we don't want you to be the way you are. We want you to be the way Jesus makes you. Okay, Don't ever use that as an excuse when there's something in your life that is still not under the authority of Christ and you're still doing it wrong or I'm still doing it wrong and we just keep saying, well, that's just the way I am. That's just my personality and that's what's wrong with it. Uh, We need our personality under the authority of Christ. We need the way we are under the authority of Christ. Remember, we're a new creation now. It's now Rick in Christ. So old Rick is dying and new Rick is coming forward and that new Rick is Rick in Christ. So Rick in Christ doesn't do things the way he's always done, and he doesn't use the excuse of that's just the way I am. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't leave me just the way I was because the way I was was going to hell. The way I was was constantly, perpetually, deliberately sinful. So let's be who Jesus is making us. So Paul says, I have become a servant to all, to the Jews, and now he's doing all the different groups he deals with. You can fill in whoever you deal with here, to the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Still talking about the Jews, though not by my, myself as under the law. Look, I've become, I've, I know Jesus was Messiah, he says. So I am now still a Jew, but I'm not a Jew that's under the law. I'm a Jew that's under the new covenant. But I'll still be smart when I'm around my Jewish friends that are not under the new covenant, that have rejected the new covenant, and have not acknowledged my Lord and Savior as Messiah. I'm going to be real strategic that I don't offend them by immediately saying, well, this is stupid. We don't have to do this anymore. I'm going to ease into that culture, and I'm going to try not to offend, so I will earn the right to then share what I believe about Jesus. It's one of the main reasons when I go into a conference or go do something, I'll tell the people if they can allow it, hey, man, if you could allow me 20 extra minutes, and they'll say, well, why do why you need 20 extra minutes? The reason why I need 15 to 20 extra minutes is there's guys that, that listen to our show. They know what we believe because we don't hide that, but it may not be where they are. And they're coming to this thing because they're a fan of the show first. So the last thing I want to do is walk out and say, now turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and they'll be like, what? I want to come out here and tell them some funny stories like they heard on the show, settle them in, work my way into the culture, and then earn the right to share the gospel with them, to make that connection. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about, and we need to be strategic with that. We don't compromise Jesus, and so we don't compromise the gospel. It's not what he's saying, but we're, we, what, he, what did Jesus tell us? Be as gentle as a dove and as wise as the serpent. And we know who the serpent was. Understand your adversary. You better be, you better be as wise as he is, and I can make you that wise so you know what you're doing and be strategic. So then he says to those outside the law, now he's talking about the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, meaning I don't just do whatever I want to do. I don't abuse the grace that I've been given. But now I'm talking to those that are not Jewish people. And he says this, that I might win those outside the law. And then perfect, perfect example here. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And then 23 is the key, and you better align this twice. The motivation. The motivation to win people over. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So why do we do it? To make new friends. Certainly that's okay. Uh, So that everybody can say, well, look at at the job that he's doing. No. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I'm doing it out of love because I want you. You know, think about this. I wouldn't wish, I would not wish eternal damnation on my worst enemy. So my motivation for maybe taking a little extra time to earn the right to share, I do that because I want it to be effective. Think about the things you... There's things that Paul says I'm doing in my life that I don't have to do. It's it's not... It has nothing to do with my salvation. But I'm doing it so that I can be strategic, that I can be more effective in reaching people for the gospel. So the way I do that is I don't roll up onto some folks, uh, and I may in my own life said, hey, I don't want to sit around a bunch of people doing whatever So what you don't do is sit down and say, well, you know what? While I'm sitting here, there better not be anybody drinking any alcohol and there better not be saying anything other than we're going to sit down and talk about Jesus. You're not going to be very effective. Now, that doesn't mean that you start drinking with them and it doesn't mean that you, you know, we know Jesus was with sinners. Yeah, but he didn't participate in sin. You know, so you don't go along and start participating, but you also don't come in as a sanctimonious jerk and put everybody against you what you try to do is what? It, it's, it's through your kindness, through your, uh, you can be funny, just come into the group, not as, as, as bringing down you know, judgment on them. That's God's role. As a matter of fact, what, what, did, what did Paul tell us in the same letter to, the, to Corinth? He said, It's not our job to judge those outside the church. Now, that doesn't mean we say that something's wrong. We can't say something's wrong that's wrong. Of course we can. But you know what he did say? but it is our role to judge those inside the church church discipline we are called to do that and and sometimes we take it and reverse it we want to judge those outside the church and let people inside the church get away with all kinds of stuff and paul says you got that completely backward but but anyway so what we want what we want to do is we want to be wise on winning somebody over you know people say that all the time if we turn the rick and bubba show into the old time gospel hour I would love that, uh, and, and, and I, I would, I'd love to come on here and say, for four hours a day, we're just going to talk about Jesus, but that's not effective because there's a place for that, but on this show, when I step on this platform, I'm now engaging my surroundings. I'm engaging the world, and, and in order to engage the world, i got to find some way, not, not compromising Jesus, but some way to connect with them and so then I, when I get a chance to talk about Christ, I've earned the right to do it. And it can be more effective. And they still may reject it, but they but they say, but I still like the guy. You know, you love you love the uh, the George Whitfield uh, deal when he was in London and he was said one of his great just a powerful preacher going on and the, the journalists went out to cover the this this big evangelical movement in England and a guy walks up and the journalist was an atheist and he says, So, you've listened to Whitfield? And he said, I have. And he says, so do you now believe in this gospel that he's preaching? you believe in this Jesus? Do you believe in this, this Christianity? And the guy said, no, no, I'm not there yet. He goes, but he does. <laughs> he absolutely believes it. Uh, so, And, and so that, that's kind of it. I mean, the, you, don't, you don't get in there to the point that people now say, well, he's, there's nothing different about him. It's not that. But when we're coming in, and the example he's using, he said as a Jewish person who's now, been redeemed by Jesus, he knows, and he says this later, he knows he can eat what what was one time declared dirty in his Jewish custom. He could sit down and say, I'm going to eat pork because I can, but he would never do that with a Jewish person, never. Uh, he would never sit down with someone that's offended by something and do it just so he could tell them he's free to do it. I think we got a lot of that going on sometimes even within the church. I want to sit down with someone and show them how free I am. But but you know what, what we were told? Don't ever cause other people to stumble. You're not that free. And don't offend people unnecessarily. If people are offended by the truth of Jesus, that's fine. But don't let them be offended by you, and I don't need to let them be offended by me. If they want to be offended by the truth, that's fine. Nothing I can do about that. But I, I, I'm going to do everything I can that they're not offended by me because now I've lost the opportunity to have any effect on them when I start talking about Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. And so when we engage our surroundings, we must be wise how we do it so that we can win them over. And as, as, as uh, Paul says, that, that we would have some that would be saved, which is phenomenal. All right, next, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this is verses 13 through 16. Now, for a lot of us, these are going to be very well-known verses, but it's always good when engaging our surroundings. What are we supposed to do? And this is Jesus, and he's teaching us uh, how we, what we should be in the world. And here's what Jesus said, very famous verse. He says what? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer Interesting. So some of this sometimes, in my opinion, the first time I read it, almost feels contradictory because we're also told what? Don't make a big deal about the things that you do. Do these things privately. Don't let the uh, right hand know what the left hand is doing, and don't do anything to bring glory to yourself. Now that's key. That's key. Uh, We've seen the people that can't wait to get on social media and show you how much serving they do. Uh, and, and, and so is are we doing that to talk about the great things that God's doing? Are we doing that to say, this is how I spent my Saturday because I'm holier than you are? Uh, maybe we should just go out and serve and not care if anybody knows about it other than the Lord. So that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, so what is salt? And y'all have heard this. I mean, a lot of you in here have heard this message many times, but there may be people watching and listening that haven't. You know, salt, salt in these days, they did not have refrigeration. So Salt was used to preserve meat so that it would not rot and it would not, uh, and, and w- it w- you could not eat it. There was no such thing as refrigeration. And, and so, what he's saying is if the salt has lost its saltiness, uh, and, and, and so it cannot keep anything from rotting and decaying, you're no longer good for anything other than being trampled under people's feet. And you would see this, uh, and this is a visual that these people would send. You would see salt. Many times laid in the street because when they were done with it, it no longer could preserve anything. They just throw it out, and they would also use it in the streets. The salt that they weren't using to reserve, they would use that to keep the roads from being all muddied up to keep them dry. A lot of times, when you would see soldiers come in, they'd have salt all over their feet where they had walked down these roads, and that's what he's talking about. It was a visual that these people were very familiar with. So what he's saying is, my disciples, you—I mean, right now all the horrible things that are going on and you're watching uh, our society literally coming apart at the seams. The only hope for society is the church. The only thing that's going to preserve this country and preserve the world is the church. That's it. And it is interesting that you see people, uh, as Jesus told us they would do, turning against the very salt that is the only hope of this thing not decaying because you remember, because this is how the adversary works, what are we starting to see in our post-Christian society right now in our own country? We're seeing that the church at one time was considered the answer to your problems, the answer to the the, the ills of society, but now you're watching the shift as Jesus told us what happened, and you're seeing a shift that now the church isn't the answer to our problems, it is the problem. This is archaic this is antiquated, this is outdated, they don't let people do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And so what we have to understand, Jesus said, no, no, you have to be the salt of the earth. And how are we the salt of the earth? Well, it's back to what we're talking about. We engage our surroundings, and we're trying to point people to the only hope they really have, and that's Jesus. When, when, When everything else falls apart, what's the one thing that holds everything together? Jesus. Uh, what, and so what we're supposed to be is we're supposed to live in such a way that it preserves this. I mean, we really want to live in such a way that it might withhold God's wrath on everybody else. Because he sit, looks down and he sees a remnant, and you see him on record for doing that throughout Scripture, where sometimes the remnant is, is used to, to keep God's wrath from coming down on a society. Uh, and, and then he says next, what's the next analogy? Light of the world. A, a light of the world. So, when people are in all this darkness, do they look to the disciples of Jesus? When we're engaging our, our surroundings, are we illuminating it with Jesus? Are we bringing more confusion and darkness? You know, he says, he says when you look at the darkness that's all around you, my people should stand out. So when people look at us mixed into all the debauchery of the world and all the darkness, do they see us illuminating the light of Jesus or do we look just like everybody else? And Jesus says that when you're engaging the surroundings, you will stand out. And remember this. I, I hear this so many times, and, and anytime we have a chance to, to do a service with men, or really like Sherry and I will do next weekend, uh with the marriage conference there's always a time to respond always i don't know who came up with this new idea of no time to respond i'm completely against that because eight, uh, acts chapter 2 the minute they asked peter what he they were supposed to do he said repent and then come forward and be baptized in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and so he and they even they even told us how many people did that so i'm kind of like good enough for the first time peter gets it right good enough forever now The reason why is what he's saying right here. In 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. What else did Jesus say? Anybody who will not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge before the Father. But anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the Father. So when I offer a time of response, as Acts chapter 2, I will even say, don't let the first thing you do when people stand up and say, I repent and I want to follow Jesus. I don't know the sincerity of their heart. I have no idea. However, if your heart is sincere, don't let the first thing be an act of disobedience. You come forward and you stand up and you say to all these witnesses that Jesus is now your Lord, that you've repented of your sin and you acknowledge Jesus as Lord right now. I, I don't like this garbage of going home or maybe see somebody on the way out I, because that that offers all kinds of opportunity for that person to not even do the first act of obedience, which is what? To acknowledge Jesus before everybody here. Uh, and and so, and I'm not saying that people are not redeemed if they do that or anything like that. And I'm not be trying to be legalistic about this. I just say good enough for Acts chapter two, good enough for every time. And according to scripture, the, 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 the presentation of the gospel, the reading of the word of God, demands a response, even if that response is to do nothing. Because God puts that on his record, too. I say, you know this, every single time you present the gospel, every single person makes a decision. Every single time. Because some people decide to do nothing. But it's still a decision. You know, when people say, how many decisions you make? You know what I say? 100%. Everybody made a decision somehow. They made a decision that they were were good, and that's possible. Hey, I like where I am. I grew a little bit. Somebody made a decision to do nothing, knowing they should. Somebody made a decision to repent and and be redeemed, and then some people made a decision that something in their life needed to be corrected. They need to to straighten something out. Every every time you present Scripture, every time you present Jesus, if somebody says, how many decisions do you have? And I'm going to start doing this going forward. Well, there are about 325 people there. How many decisions do you have? 325. Because everybody, everybody made different kinds of decisions, but everybody made one. Now, if you want to ask me how many people acknowledge Jesus as Lord and repented, then I might say 15. I might say four. I might say none that I saw because they didn't acknowledge it. None that I know of. And then you say, well, how many of were legitimate? I have no idea. We'll see, right? Billy Sunday, we'll see. Uh, we'll see that in the fruit of their lives. But this this uncertainty, how that has crept into no response at all is beyond me. We don't know who's sincere. So what? Little kids may come forward. So what? The same people may come pray every time. So what? That keeps you from having a time of response? I I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Uh, and I've never understood it and, and won't participate in it if I have the say. So anyway, so... He says, "Remember the little song. This is a light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine." He says, "Let your light shine before others." Well, you know, my 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 faith is private. That's not what Scripture says. Everybody's supposed to know you follow Jesus. That don't be a jerk about it. But everybody, just just your commitment. Back to George Whitfield. Did that guy get? Was he won over by the message? We don't know what ever happened to that reporter. But let me say, what the reporter walked away from. That man loves Jesus, and I'm not offended by that. They may just say he's committed to what he believes. I reject what he believes, but man, he or she's committed. And Jesus says, let, let, so people can see. So why, you know what that means? And what he means by that, because I don't want you to confuse the thing about don't try to bring glory to yourself. It goes back to the, the story that I've told. And this, this is probably the best example in my personal life I can give you. But if you've ever been on a mission trip anywhere, what's one of the things that you get a lot of times, if you've never done it, I would encourage you to do it. Even if it's short time. I know that's another thing that's popular by the, the the new the new mod movement is to somehow demonize short term missions. Short term missions, I don't do anything. It does it does for the people that go. Sure, hey, a short term mission trip is better. Than no mission trip. Now, do you need to keep investing in this place and try to equip the indigenous people to reach their own people? One hundred percent. But they also need help from time to time, and it may not impact them, but it'll impact every single person that goes. I can speak that to my own experience and my my family's experience. But one of the things you'll always get, especially with people that come from wealthy nations like the one we live in. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? And that's what he's talking about. Well, because Jesus told me to come. I really probably wouldn't be here. I really probably honestly didn't want to spend my vacation here. I had a lot of other places that that if I wanted to serve me that I probably would have gone. And I really am not doing this for you. I'm really doing it for him. He's the one that sent me. He's the one that loves you. He loves you perfectly. I'm here to tell you what he did for you. There's not much I can do for you. Okay? And, and so when I, I remember that, it was, a, it was a man, and some of you have heard this story before, but it's a good example. And it's, it's interesting how Jesus worked. Not Rick worked, but Jesus worked. Man, daughter died in an unfortunate situation at the beach, same way my son died um, his earthly death. She drowned. These were not followers of Jesus. They were in great despair, and I went. Sherry went to see the wife, talked to her, and where Sherry always, my wife always does such a good job with this. And then here comes me, and so I go to sit down with the dad, and we go back in a in a, in a room of the house, and I had to be at work the next morning, and I stayed with him from about seven thirty, seven fifteen, to to midnight. So. We go through all the scriptures. We keep talking. I keep telling him who Jesus is and what he's done. And he finally says, and this is exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. He finally says, I just wish Jesus would give me a sign. See, I know this story. I just wish Jesus would give me a sign. And I said, well, I said, I want you to know something. I said, "Um, if I was the person I used to be before Jesus, I would have heard about your daughter's death. And I would have thought, man, that's horrible. And I said, I was literally sitting in the drive-thru line at Taco Bell. When I heard the news, I said, I would have asked my kids what they wanted to eat after practice, which is what we were doing. And I would have driven home and never thought of you again. I said, but because of Jesus, I dropped my kids off to my wife on my way here. And I've come into the room with you who I do not know. And I've spent the last four and a half hours with you. And I have to get up in four hours and 15 minutes. I'm not that good a person. I am your son. And he said, that makes all the sense in the world. I wouldn't do that. I honestly just don't care that much because I don't know these people. But I I cared about him because the Holy Spirit cared about him and drug me there to do it because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus saved the man because he said, let them see what you're doing right now because they'll know it's supernatural.'" because you ain't that good a guy. And nothing is more true, sadly, than that. That's what he's talking about. All right, so now let's go to, now we're going Old Testament. Uh, Let's let's go to Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, and we're going to go to chapter 58. And again, this is the concept of disciples engaged with their surroundings. And boy, Isaiah really lays out a beautiful picture here. And he's telling us about caring about people because of God's presence in our life. Listen to this, Isaiah, and, and uh, verse six of Isaiah fifty-eight. And we're going to go verse six through ten. If y'all are writing this down, listen. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless, uh, poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then you shall light break, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise up in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Exactly what I was just talking about. What Isaiah is saying is take care of people. God is saying, you know what he's saying? Isaiah is saying, if I want to be you, if I want to illuminate you, you see the naked, you see the hungry, You see the afflicted. You see those in despair. And if I don't see them, you make sure that I see them. And and did you not say that you would take care of them? So I'll be your vessel. I'll do it. And and I'll notice people that are in need. I'll notice people that are hurting. I'll notice people that are in despair. If I've got your bread and you've taken care of me, then I'm going to give some to them. If you've, if you've helped me financially that I'm not worried about how to pay my bills, I'll go help those that don't know how they're going to drink water today. I want to I'll make me aware of the needs of people, and may I be your light into their life whenever you give me the opportunity to do so. I'm going to be aware, and I'm going to engage my surroundings, and sometimes a lot of people are not ready, Lord, as you have taught me, for you to meet their spiritual needs until I become a vessel to meet their physical needs. Sometimes it's awful hard for somebody to listen to us about the gospel when they're not sure how they're going to clothe themselves, they're not sure where they're going to lay their head, they're not sure. And you know, so many times you think about this, I remember um, I heard a story from um, a friend of mine that I'm co-teaching a small group with and um, and he was talking about going down to where one of these Christian missions where there were men there that had been strung out on drugs, they had alcoholics, all these horrible things. And if you've never had an opportunity to do that, I mean, they don't smell good. Uh, There's all kinds of of issues going on. And and you know what they wanted more than anything? Certainly they were gonna get served a meal and that was great. But they wanted to be looked at as human beings. They just wanted somebody to sit down with them at the table and say, so tell me your story. Tell me, tell me the struggle. And, and and the thing that they wanted to hear the most is for you to tell them, you know what, brother? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. I may not have the exact problem you have, but I got problems. I, I had to be, and I, the answer for me was Jesus, and the answer for you is Jesus. It, it's not you need more Jesus than I need. We all need him. And, and, and what, what Isaiah is saying is, Lord, help me to bring the homeless into your house. Help me, Lord, to see the naked and to cover them. And because let let your light break forth like the dawn, let your healing spring up, your healing. So what what is God's ultimate healing? Jesus. (laughs) That's your biggest problem, right? I mean, we were just talking about before this Bible study started Uh, Of the people that you know we knew were devout followers of Jesus uh, that um, you know COVID took their life but but knowing that they were complete disciples of Jesus and knowing they had been engaging their surroundings knowing that they had lived and I remember the first time I ever heard this was from my aunt who I got to see last weekend when my uncle her husband battled cancer and he died and she said the first person came up to me and said well I guess God didn't heal your husband. She said, What are you talking about? My husband was redeemed. He has been ultimately healed. That that's that's the big disease that God heals, and that's our sin. Because we all gonna die a physical death, or Jesus is gonna come back one or the other. Anybody feel that body getting away from you? It, 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 every year feels a little bit different, doesn't it? And, and the reason why is does that mean that God's gonna heal me from physical sickness? No, he might. But it doesn't mean that at all. What he may say is, well, I really healed you from eternal death, and I healed you from the disease of sin, so what you need to do is go out and engage your surroundings and then bring me in to truly heal them because I healed their biggest problem, and that's their sin. Praise his holy name. Uh, so now let's, let's wrap up by looking at Philippians 2, uh, 14 through 16. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Let me tell you something. I was um, I was reading um, in the uh, devotional that this is coming from, um, and the, Lee Moore, who is a dear friend uh, and a new friend of mine, and we've worked together some in the past, but we work together at themanchurch.com, and uh, he does such a good job for us. Uh, Lee Moore loves people, and it, it, that's the reason why he was given uh, this uh, this section of the devotional because he lives it. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a man love people more than him. He is a a great example uh, for me, and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, so he, he, he wrote this, and he had a great quote here uh, from Leonard Ravenhill. You ever read Leonard Ravenhill? Buckle up. Buckle up if you're going to read uh, Leonard Ravenhill. Here's what Leonard says, a great follower of Jesus and theologian. There are three persons living in each of us. This is so good. The one we think we are the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. <laughs> Let that resonate a minute. Those are the three people we are. The people we think we are, which is always delusional, it's just to what degree, the person people think we are, and the person God knows we are. Those, those are the three people uh, that, uh, that are inside every one of us. So Paul, in jail, writes this in Philippians two, fourteen through 16, do all things without grumbling. Somebody underline that. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Now, why are you doing this? Why am I in this situation? Well, I don't understand what we're doing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among you shines, shine as lights of the world. And look at 16, holding fast to what? The word of life. So that in the day of Christ, and of course we know what that is, that's that's the return of Jesus, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Well, Paul, throughout his writings, you see this theme showing up all the time that, hey, God is going to get a return on the grace that God showed him. He said, I don't, you can tell Paul does it again in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and 10. Paul does not want God to ever think that the grace that was given to him was in vain. He was going to engage his surroundings, he was going to advance the kingdom of God. And he's now telling us, do you think, see, it's one thing for a man to write to us to not grumble or question what's going on while he's living the good life. Ah, stop your complaining. But when somebody says that from jail, chained to a Roman guard, thinking that this may be the beheading coming up, because he's also wrote in this book what? To live as Christ, to die as gain. I don't know how this is going to go. I think he may get me out of here because I need to keep working and helping y'all and keep making disciples. But he may allow me to be killed, whichever way I win. So, so it's one thing for somebody to tell you not to grumble about what you're going through for Jesus when they're not going through anything for Jesus. But he's saying this from jail, and he says, Why is it important for us to do all things without grumbling or questioning God? Why is that important? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of what? See if this sounds familiar. A crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine what jesus said it as lights of the world don't complain and grumble and have a pity party like the rest of this crooked generation you shine like lights of god in the midst of all this don't act the way they act you know why they act that way because they have no hope you have hope in jesus let them see your hope in jesus when you engage your surroundings and they think it's the end of the world, don't join in on that. You let them see the hope that Jesus gives you. You let them see you live that whatever happens. Hey, you know what? Y'all, y'all may hear, I don't know, Lord, whatever the Lord wants to do. Maybe, who knows? I, I've got antibodies. I've had COVID before. I don't know what God's plan is. God's plan may be that I don't survive this next thing of COVID. I don't know. I have no idea. Do I want that to happen? No, I'm not afraid to die. Am I crazy about the process of dying? Not at all. I don't look forward to that. I don't, I don't, I don't look at that as any as, as something to be scoffed at or to be unconcerned about. However, however, if you think I'm clinging to this place, and you know what? God loves us so much that he's allowing us this garbage so that we quit clinging to this place. And you know what he says? Pick yourself up. Know that I am God. Know that this is not out of control. Know that it's under my control. And you stand yourself up in the middle of this panic in society, and don't you let them see you do the same thing. You let them see the hope that you have in me. Stop all the grumbling. Stop all the questioning. Why does this pandemic just keep coming back, God? Stop it. Stop it. Poor, poor, pitiful us. Here we go again. Stop it. You let them see you shine. That's what Paul said. Stop it. Don't act like the way they act. They don't have any hope. This is all they got. They're afraid the only thing they got is going away. You know you have more than this. What th- This earth is garbage compared to what you have coming. I've already. I told Peter, did you not listen? I told you, I'm gonna refine this thing by fire. Every every little fragment of this thing is gonna be, and it's all going away. So yes, it's fallen. Yes, it's fading. Yes, it's diseased, because it isn't the final plan. Have you not read the revelation that I gave John? Have you not read what is coming? I'm going to wipe away every tear. Sickness and death will be no more. But that's not where you are now. That's where you're going. That's what's coming. Do you believe, Rick, that's what's coming? Yes, Lord. Within well, then quit grumbling. Live like you really believe that. Lord, what if, what if I die? Well, then you'll just be with me. What about, my, what about my family? Well, I hope you've discipled them. I hope they're going to be with me too. What about this friend I have that I've been meaning to share with? I'd go share with him. You know what uh, one of my friends has told me right now more than ever? And, man, he's right. He is right. He said, I know we've always said this, but now more than ever, when you teach and you preach, you present Jesus as the last time you're going to get to do it because it might be. You present it like it's the last time, because it may be. But that's true no matter what situation. I know, I know more people that've been killed in car wrecks going somewhere than have been killed by a pandemic, and we do that every day. So we're not guaranteed the next minute. And so what 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 Paul is telling us, and what this is telling us, when we engage our surroundings, people are watching. So act like you have hope that they might want. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the conviction of the message. Thank you for how much you love us, and thank you for how you're refining us. But we do pray, Lord, for mercy, and there's nothing wrong with that. We do pray for those that are sick to be healed, and there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, you taught us to pray, Jesus, how? To pray to our Father that his will be done. And we do pray that as well. Lord, I know there's people that maybe today, uh, they, they they were inspired that maybe they need to look at uh, this, this call to be disciples differently. Maybe we all need to assess, are we engaging our surroundings enough? Well, through your power, we can do it. And maybe we just need to lean on you more and lean on ourselves less. And then maybe that's where the confidence will come from, in you, because we know that you are with us. You told us to do this, then told us you wouldn't leave us. So let's not act like that you've left us. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. If you need me, Rick at rickandbubba.com.